Hello, beautiful people. Welcome to the Embracing Enough podcast. I've always said that one thing is for sure, it's that women and girls have some incredible stories to tell. And that's what we do here. We share our stories in the hope that it allows others to feel seen, to feel heard, and hopefully less alone. This is your host, Dina Skippa, founder of Enough Labs, and I am so excited that you're here. I'm an empowerment coach, gender equality advocate, motivational speaker, and a goal-crushing boss. And this show is your guide to all things confidence, mindset, growth, and resilience, all in the spirit of helping you to embrace how enough you truly are. Myself and some incredible guests will be coming to you each week to drop some gems. The goal is to offer you the space in creating a vision that supports you in your relationships, creating work-life balance, and be more aligned with your truth. Our mission is to help you do all of this while embracing how enough you already are and embodying the essence of joy, abundance, and permission every step of the way. Consider me your personal coach through these episodes and think of me as your confidant your ally, and most importantly, your sister friend. Are you ready? Let's get started. Hello and welcome back. We are back with another exciting guest for Embracing Enough. This is your girl, Dina, and we are talking this week with Dr. Kinga Minnick, who is a social psychologist and also a strategist who works primarily with female founders really to overcome gender-based barriers and obstacles and helping to build their confidence, expand their mindset, really working with female founders to, to build the businesses that they want to build but may be struggling to believe that they have it within them. She is a not only a social psychologist, but also a fierce advocate for uh, racial and social justice, as well as a yoga instructor. And I'm so excited to be talking to Dr. Kinga Minick this week about her story, what she's most proud of, and what she's been working on that is just frankly making her the an incredible resource to really expand upon some of these, um, some of the issues that women are facing, but also bring her incredible experience of living in so many different settings um, that really does bring a unique uh, lens and angle to this, to her story and to what we're talking about today. So Dr. Minnick, thank you so much for joining us this week. Thanks so much for having me. This is very exciting. Very exciting. Well, we were talking before we, we started recording about the Embracing Enough podcast. And, and as I mentioned this, you know, first and foremost, Embracing Enough is a space that we get to invite incredible women like you on to share their stories. Because as I've said, I think it's through women's stories and the way that we share our truths. Uh, it allows other people to feel seen, heard, and less alone. So I think that there's no more perfect spar- start, like place to start with having you tell the listeners what your story is you've you know from from poland to germany to south africa now to the u.s i know there's so much to be told in between so what is your story dr minnick uh well 
and really, you know, as, as you just pointed it out, you know, it it starts with me uh, being born in Poland, you know, when the wall was still up. Um, it's not something that I've been speaking about for a really long time. I think it took me quite some time to embrace that part of the story also. Usually when people would just ask me, like, where are you from? I'm, I would plan out, always say Germany, because that's where I really grew up. And, you know, that's the, the culture that um, I am, you know, also portraying, I would say mostly, uh, with some twists to it. Uh, at the same time, that's the passport that I'm holding, right? And the passports, I, I do think, as you know, big part of our identity nowadays. Um, but yeah, I mean, um, when I was four and a half, my parents basically uh, fled Poland. Um, so just before, it was before, two, well, two years before the wall came down and uh, managed uh, after really a long, long time of planning that, you know, to get into Germany where we first landed into so-called, uh, well, I think assimilation refugee camps, however you want to call it, there are so many different words for it. Um, and where we stayed for you know, almost five years, I was nine when my parents uh, got their first apartment. Till then we were just living in one room. Um, <clears throat> sorry. And um, the interesting part of it is, you know, that till I would say the last two or three years, even as a family, we never really spoke about that status of being actually a refugee, you know, because we were from Poland and because we, um, in our family, there were some family members at some point in history that were German, you know, there, there were different terminologies within the um, political language in Germany for people like us. But at the same time, you know, we were in places with people from all over the world. Um, and I don't think that I understood necessarily what it meant, except in spaces like then when we, when I started going to school, or actually, you know, when I had my first teacher, uh, my second teacher, my first teacher was excellent. She was unbelievably excellent. And I, I don't know ever if she's going to come across some of the stories, but I think she was brilliant and how she was trying to integrate all the foreigners into her, uh, into her class. But my second teacher, you know, would say things um, like, you know, to my parents, like, you know, don't, don't demand too much from your daughter, like, be happy if she finishes ninth grade, if she's going to get a de decent job as a cashier, um, you know, really diminishing and not recognizing also what my parents managed to do. And here's the thing, you know, like, for example, my dad was an engineer, his degree in Germany wasn't recognized, it just wasn't. That was the time. Uh, so he had to take on just really very regular jobs. You know, I mean, like I, I saw how that actually, I don't know, hurt him, hurt his own identity, you know, and how he had to really make peace with it. And he made peace with it, honestly, just also in the past years. Um, my mom was cleaning for 10 years. You know, before she was working in a doctor's office, I mean, she did, I had, my parents are very well educated, you know, we had a very vast library of books. And when I was going to school, a lot of teachers thought that we didn't have any kind of education. And that's how they would speak to my parents that they, that's how they would also speak about me. And you and I, we know how important 
the words are that we are telling the children around us, that we are telling to and to the young woman as well, to the young boys, but the the subconscious story that we are putting into the brains, you know, that we have to then at some point let go of. Um, so, yeah, so that's, um, that's the beginning of, really the beginning of the story, which then really led to me being, I think that I was a very angry teenager. Hmm. I was a very angry teenager and I was, I, I think that I was also very resentful to a lot of people around me, resentful for not having necessarily the same opportunities or access like a lot of German friends of mine. Um, because we, so in Germany, there's a terminology called uh, vitamin B, and B stands for Beziehung, which means relationship. So a lot of things and opportunities are being opened up through relationships, and I guess like in many you know cultures and, and countries, if you don't belong into the society, you're not from there. You know the access is just much more difficult. And um, when I was 17, my history teacher asked me if I would like to be part of a project that the Anne Frank Museum in Frankfurt was doing and it was a peer-to-peer -peer program. It was on the topic of, of course, the Holocaust and racism and they were looking for uh, peer uh, mediators. So they would put us into a program and train us how to mediate, how to mentor, you know, how to facilitate um, a specific program. And um, I said yes. I, I, I Somehow, you know, like I always said yes. You know, like to anything, like it was very clear to me um, from the get-go that I had to put myself into different opportunities in order to to achieve maybe different things that my parents were able to achieve or just to build on top of what my parents achieved. I think that's a better way to say that also. Um, so I was chosen to be part of that program and I was very, I have to say, even looking back at it, I was very, very fortunate. And I was very fortunate because I'm not sure necessarily, it, I didn't have necessarily a lack of confidence, you know. I wouldn't, I wouldn't describe it as such. I think that I was pretty safe and secure in myself, but through the anger that I was carrying in me. So it wasn't necessarily the right emotion, you know, that I was uh, putting into it. Um, I think that I, I felt like, you know, I deserved what other people deserved as well. And it didn't play a role that I was from Poland. And being Polish in Germany in the German context, you know, I mean, that brought a whole lot of issues with it. Mm. And uh, as you can see by my name, I couldn't hide, right? A lot of people um, assume, like right now here in the U.S., you know, like it's... Um, Skin color is a is a is an issue. Uh, in in Germany, uh, your where you were born or the religion is an issue. Mm. So racism, I feel like you know, has very different uh, different uh, facets um, in this world. So I don't know. I had this belief that I deserved. I deserved, but deserving, you know, uh, it doesn't mean that I, I felt entitled. Because now we have also that that conversation around entitlement. But I was like, I, I, there's these people are not better or worse than me, and I was angry about that. That I was brought sometimes in those weird situations. And I had a social. She was actually a social psychologist that was working at the Anne Frank Museum, the director. And we had an amazing team of social workers, social psychologists that were bringing, I think we were like 12 people, they were bringing us through that process and the training, you know, and all of that. And she took me aside one day and said, Kinga, you have incredible abilities. 
you can go very, very far. You can do whatever you want to do, but you need to change your attitude. Wow. And she was so, she was like straightforward, you know, like German, straightforward and all of that. And she's like, your attitude also towards other people, because I was angry and I was resentful. <laughs> and I didn't understand what she was saying necessarily till I think till I was 30 if I'm being honest mm. like I kind of like understood that I had to change my attitude you know but um, I didn't necessarily understand what she meant by it because I did feel like there was wrong done by me and so why didn't I have necessarily the right to express that so there was almost like an experience where parts of you felt justified in that anger as you were navigating like the, like the forming of your identity. You're, yeah. you're navigating your world, being bombarded with judgment and perceptions and the way that people are making assumptions about your parents even before, you know, yeah. they, can, they can truly be seen for, for who they are and what they've yeah. been through. And let's also call out that the bravery and courage that it takes to flee where you're from and live in another culture. And then that secondary experience, not only from our parents, I'm a daughter of immigrants and you know, what, what that does for your own identity and then having to navigate that and, and, and help your children through it. I mean, there's just so many layers as you tell us about your story and, and I can totally empathize with, with the anger that you were feeling, but then also having to understand your way through it too. Yeah. And it wasn't that it wasn't, you know, I mean, she certainly recognized and understood, you know, what, what my story was, because I mean, this was a group of uh, very diverse international, you know, uh, young adults, teenagers. Um, she worked in that sphere, you know, for, for a long time. So it was interesting, you know, to see how you create kind of like the space where you, how do you, how do you build around that? How do you help other people to understand that there are two sides to the story, you know, of what, what, what anger also means because anger now you know, as you know you know i'm a specialist in emotions that's what i've studied over right. the past time um and i know now that anger actually just means that someone has crossed our boundaries that someone has broken our value system that someone has not respected who we are as a person but that doesn't mean that we have to be indirectly somehow violent because the way that I was speaking maybe with people maybe maybe it was violent in a direct you know like in an indirect way uh in a female <laughs> violent way <coughs> um so that was really a very significant part uh and moment in my life that I learned to cherish and understand later on and then from there on, I mean, I, you know, it was really interesting. I worked with um, Holocaust survivors that were brought to Germany as part of uh, reparations and just, you know, making peace. And we would travel through Germany, through the 
different areas where they were before, where they lived before, you know, just kind of like also make peace um, with their own stories. And it was always beautiful. And I, and I had that opportunity because a lot of these survivors, you know, were speaking Polish. And so um, they needed someone that spoke Polish that could also translate. And somehow I ended up, you know, at the age of 18 to be a translator, you know, just kind of like be there and that's there. And later on, I, uh, I even um, went to Israel with a film crew and uh, was part of a story where there was a Catholic priest, but he was, he was born as a Jew in Poland, but his parents were killed and uh, Catholic nuns took him in, you know, and he grew up in a monastery, became a Catholic priest, and then in the 60s decided to go back to to Israel to combine both religions. So he never gave up uh, him being as a priest, but then also, you know, um, reconnected again. So I was very fortunate to be part of many incredible stories and learn how to forgive. And that is, I think, really, really important. And I mean, I came across really painful stories also in the African context, you know, where women would tell me what they went through and then showed me how they forgave. And here's the thing, you know, I had that conversation with someone else and <clears throat> the other day and she said, like, I cannot forgive. I cannot forgive what was done to me. And I'm like, but you're not forgiving that person. The forgiveness that you're doing is for yourself. Yeah. It's letting go of that pain. That is the free. I'm like, you don't have to talk to that person ever again. But if you don't forgive, if you don't manage to tell the story from a different perspective, build a different reality, you know, it's, I mean, we call that in social psychology or positive psychology, you call that uh, reality architecture, then you are creating an own obstacle just for yourself. So, so in, in positive psychology, we speak about the um, reality architecture, you know, like building different realities for yourself and then choosing the one that is most beneficial to you and your life and your mindset. And when it comes to forgiveness and anger and um, not just building a reality that goes into the future, but also retrospectively looking back at your life. And um, just to, to segue a little bit, you know, when I speak with my parents about what they have to go through and, you know, what, what we went through also as a family and so on, we never look at it back at it in a negative way. You know, like I remember my childhood was filled with many children, you know, many children that were in the, in the um, assimilation camp, you know, like when I would come home and even though, you know, my mom would, for example, either work or was still at school, there were other children, there were other mothers, there was always this collectiveness, you know, there were, and people were sincerely caring for one another and helping one another and supporting one another. And um, so it's up to us to see what we are focusing on. But nevertheless, somewhere in that storyline, somehow, because there really wasn't enough support, you know, also enough sociological support, there wasn't enough support from social workers, you know, uh, for, for refugees and immigrants in Germany. And I think that's now slowly changing. Um, but 
to give someone that space to reflect on it and give someone the permission to feel angry, you know? And I had the other day, <coughs> sorry, actually, oh, that's, that, oh yeah, that's, that, that's, a, that's a really good story. I was on Clubhouse and there was a Syrian refugee in the Clubhouse room with me on the stage and she was talking about her life and how she came to the US and how difficult it is for her right now to restart her business and she had a very successful business in Syria and then with everything that was you know happening she, she had to you know flee and so on and um, she said you know like of course I'm grateful that I'm here and I'm of course I'm grateful that I'm alive and all of that but I cannot get out of this this mindset you know of not, not being able to to move on and someone else on stage said yeah, because the grass isn't greener on the other side. And I almost exploded. I had to really hold myself back, really. And with everything, I'm like, I went on and I said, okay, I want to say a couple of things here. I'm like, A, you are allowed to be angry. They bombarded the city where you lived in. They bombarded the house that you grew up in, that you were living in. There is much anger that you have the right to to, to let it out and also you know yes you are now in the US but you have the right to miss what what you had and it's not okay for other people to say you know kind of like oh you have to be thankful now that you're here and so on and all of that but um, it's really important you know to to be able to acknowledge these things that are happening within you and these are huge emotions to be processing in real time up against real life consequences. You're talking about anger, forgiveness, real time grief. I mean, really processing all of these emotions in at times when from our individual experience, we may not have language to make sense of it all. We may not feel like we have the space or the ability or the tools to process it all. And I just think that permission piece around allowing yourself to be angry for what it's worth is such an important element of anyone's healing that I don't think we talk about. I think the conversation kind of looks a bit different for men giving themselves permission to be angry or the world giving men permission to be angry, and then for women, that conversation. Can you talk to us a little bit about that and what you've experienced and what you've observed? You know, you've worked with Holocaust survivors. You've worked in South Africa during the apartheid uh, period. You've, you're now living in the southern region of the United States. I mean, what have you noticed around people giving them permission, giving themselves permission to feel angry and also permission to forgive? Yeah, so, um, you know, a anger, of course, you know, because most, most emotions are genderized, right? As women, you need to be kind, you need to be helpful, you need to be happy, bubbly, you know, supportive. Um, you, you, you should not be angry, you shouldn't be jealous, you shouldn't, you know, like, you shouldn't, like, all these things. Like, it's okay for a woman to feel fear and express it, but it's not okay for a man to feel fear mm -hmm. and express it and so on. Um, so look, so I worked um, in South Africa in a high security prison facility uh, where I was teaching yoga and then thereafter I did my PhD on masculinity and emotions uh, in the South African um, context. 
and um, and so that was all after apartheid. But in the in the scene of where the country started, you know, the country is of course moving forward, but it has a tremendous amount of poverty, lack of uh, opportunities, and unfortunately, you know, they develop different systems and I haven't been there now, like I mean I've visited now in the last couple of years, but I haven't been there like full time in the last three years. So um, I don't know exactly some of the things that have changed, but a lot of black South African men were really the ones that really lost the most after the apartheid system. Because, uh, I mean, it's a, it's a really, it's, it's a whole complicated story, we could do a whole podcast on that. But um, what I learned was to understand where the anger was coming from that they were holding. And the moment, for example, I would give them space in our conversations to explain that to me, how the anger mellowed down, how the anger changed into sadness, into grief, into, you know, the anger, anger is quite often for men something where you are protecting your outer shell, you know, you're making yourself more masculine, you're making yourself stronger, I am angry and I can do this and you know, like, oh well. For women, anger is different because we are suppressing it. We don't want to express it because it's not feminine. It's like, you know, you're not a, like you're not having yourself under control if you're expressing it. So there's that, that opposite, right? We need to give women the space to start expressing it, to understand actually what is causing it. So therefore then they can actually react in a way. So I say, you know, like when I teach, teach on emotions and when I teach, well, people actually about emotions, I say, emotions are your internal compass. And you need to first disconnect from everything that you have learned about emotions in order to reconnect to them in a way that you want to understand your emotions. You know, and there's um, this, this discrepancy between emotions and feelings, where we are using it interchangeably all the time. Feelings are not emotions. I just want to say that. I'm glad you did. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Tell us more. Tell us more. And uh, so maybe, you know, people will be like, what? You know, like, <laughs> but feelings is what we experience in the filtered way through our past experiences, memories, through our culture, situational learning, how our families have taught us to deal with emotions, how the environment has taught us. Emotion, the emotion on itself, meaning energy and motion, meaning chemicals, emotion in your body, is like, it's just a process. It's not good or bad, you know, there's nothing to it. It's just something that's happening within us. It's actually what is making us a human and B shows us that we are alive. So there's no such thing as being a human being without emotions. And there's also no such thing as being just rational or logical. Emotions are always part of it. Let's accept this. <laughs> you know, we will be far better human beings once we do. But um, the feeling part is us already filtering, am I allowed to even feel this? Therefore, oh, this cannot be it because I am, for example, a woman. I cannot actually experience anger in this particular way. And I know I remember that I was in South Africa once in a township and um, I was talking to a group of women 
and something happened with one of the husbands and the wife was, uh, you know, like, I think he, he spent quite a bit of money, you know, and it was a difficult situation and they were laughing about it. Their way of expressing anger was laughing about it mm. because expressing their anger in itself wasn't accepted. And so what do we do? Like, you know, how we are, we are restricting people, we are restricting women from understanding how they need to protect themselves, how they need to stand up for themselves, but even more so how to actually feel their own power. And that's, you know, like the one thing that I um, also say is you need to take responsibility for stepping back into into your power. No one can empower you because no one can take it back. What people are doing is they're confusing you, you know, with a lot of words and things and stuff that they're doing, you know, and like and society and culture is confusing us. And so really disconnecting, like taking yourself away for a moment. And that's where the whole yoga part comes into you were asking about mm-hmm. in the beginning. Um, and I think that, you know, my journey, my journey didn't make a lot of sense for a lot of people for a really long time. You know, people would tell me, like, you don't know what it is that you want from life. You don't know what it is that you want to do in life, you know. And I had to kind of, like, always stand my ground and, and trust that this is going to make sense. And I had to trust. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I just want to highlight that for a point because you're making so many incredible points. I'm, like, freaking out over here. But I, I think... It's why I introduced you in that way. I just wanted to, to mention that. Because I think sometimes as women, what you're talking about in just in terms of no one can empower you, you really it has, it comes from this deep, deep experience and commitment to unlearning. And I think because of culture and expectations and things that we feel we should be doing, we oftentimes as women feel this tension in being multiple things. So you being a social psychologist, as well as a yoga instructor, as well as all of these other things and all these other, you know, passions and, and roles that you fulfill can all coexist. And I think we need to celebrate that more in women because there's so many women, I think, still struggling to feel like, can I be this and this and this? We feel this pressure, almost this tension to compartmentalize so that it makes sense, so that it's palatable to the world. You know, I oftentimes share, I'm a gender advisor as well as an empowerment coach, as well as a Zumba instructor. And it's taken me a long time to embrace all parts of that. But I love all of those things equally. And I think just giving space to how we feel integrated can allow the space to, to do all of these things. So I just wanted to, to segue that, but tell us about how yeah. yoga and, and everything that you do, you know, fits in, in a world yeah. that's telling you this doesn't make sense. You know, you just said actually a couple of other things. Oh man. I, and we need to somehow like try to, to bring it into that conversation. Uh, okay. So I will, I will try to keep myself really, really short on how the yoga and the emotional, all of that makes sense. Look, the, I started doing yoga before it was really McDonaldized, and uh, I learned that terminology from a unbelievable great teacher. She's in New York, Kim, Kim Montgomery. She was one of she was actually the first Black Ashtanga yoga teacher in the sixties. 
<laughs> which I think it's you know um, it's really important to to mention that she is really incredible, uh, very crazy, very wonderful, loving soul. Um, but when I started doing yoga, it was about the meditation, about letting go, about embracing pain. You know, like when you are doing your asanas, so meaning the physical practice, because there's much more to yoga than just the the posture that we are doing. But allowing yourself to embrace pain if it's mental or physical and sitting with it was what really fascinated me about it because there was so much pain in my story without me knowing how to express it or getting ever the permission from anyone to express it I mean I even had people to tell me when I told them that um, I feel discriminated within the German context and I feel that there's things that were just not right and, and, and there are cultural differences between Poland and Germany. I would hear people saying, ah, no, but they aren't really, you know? I mean, like, the cultures are so close. I'm like, no, 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 but I mean, there are. So anyway, so sitting with that pain, you know, understanding the pain, embracing the pain, and then in Buddhism, they teach you that pain comes from us having expectations. Oh my gosh. And it's so funny, you know, because we learn so many things from those ancient philosophies. And I have also a degree in philosophy. So, <laughs> you know, it all comes into it. But that. I mean, it all makes sense to me, but please continue. Yeah, but it's this, yes, because we have expectation towards others. So, first, we need to let go of the expectations that we have towards others. It means that we can also then learn to let go of the expectations that we have towards ourselves, And then understand actually who is it that we want to be. And I wasn't always really embraced or accepted as for who I was within the German context. And I had two choices. Either continue caring what other people are thinking about me and try to fit into whatever they are trying to make me fit, I just stopped caring. And so honestly, I made that decision, I think, and that's really as a teenager. I, I couldn't give a fuck. Sorry. No, it's <laughs> fine. You can swear what here. What other people <laughs> yeah. think about me or my life. You're not living it. You're not in it. You didn't, you didn't go through the story. And if you don't have the patience to even ask about it, but you are judging and you're expecting me to do something and you're telling me what is the right way to do it, no, just like, no, that's my, that's my boundary. That's what I learned from my anger. No one has the right to judge about what I'm doing and tell me if I will be successful with, with something or not. And that was really the, the, the key point, you know, in my 20s. So I was... 25 when I finished my master's degree and I decided to sell everything that I had and I moved to South Africa People were telling me you're completely crazy. This is like now you've lost it. What are you doing? You're killing your career. You should get a job. You should work for a corporation <clears throat> And there were many things that I couldn't verbalize but I My parents gave me one big gift and they always said yes, you need to educate yourself Yes, you need to uh, earn money, but you need to earn it on your own terms and whatever you're doing You need to make sure that you're happy. That's the reason why we came here We did all of this so you can be happy So however you are going to do this and that's what I did I did I started earning money on my own terms, you know, I, I, I registered my first company when I was 20 
and then worked as a freelancer always somehow, never worked full-time for someone, never signed a contract, even though I was working for a merger and acquisition bank for a while. And just tried to figure out my own way how to bring it all together while wanting to do and create something that resembles a career, you know, to make myself uh, stand, st stand out. And I'm still in that process. I'm still in that process of becoming, you know, it's... Um, we will get. I don't uh, think it ever. It 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 doesn't really end. It's constantly no, it evolving. No, yeah, it doesn't. And so that yoga part, the meditation part, and all of that was a significant key and tool for me to let go of a lot of things and understand that pain is part of pleasure, mm. that happiness is part of of, of fear or grief that we need to have and um, so I think in Buddhism there is this thing that um, you know heaven and hell is a circle right no no nirvana without samskara that's what, 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 what we say and I do I took that concept and I put it into my emotions theory there is no joy without pain mm -hmm. it's all the same it's the same spectrum and now, you know, I mean, there are fantastic researchers that even showed how, how both emotions run on the same neurological pathways. Like, it's not separate areas in your brain. That's what, you know, old researchers believe. It's all the same. And then with positive psychology, and that's what I love about positive psychology so much, you have the power to choose how you want to feel in a specific moment and how you want these emotions to affect you. But you need to be willing to embrace them. You need to be willing to feel it. You need to feel the pain to understand how to get out of it. And that is what I believe will bring you really true joy. Mm. That, that is for me abundance. You know, I think that the abundance mindset means we are able to embrace the pain as the joy equally and understand that we need, we need to fail we need to make, make mistakes in order to understand how we can move forward. Because if we're not making mistakes, we're never going to force ourselves to be creative. I am so unbelievably struck by this conversation and by your story, Dr. Minnick, of everything that you have experienced, the pain that you have sat with and embraced and all that you intentionally chose to create for yourself. And I'm curious if, if you could answer in one way, which this might be a really hard question, I will preface it, but like if there was one thing that you could point to from navigating your own life's journey in all of the places that you've been, in all of the ways that your identity has been formed from Poland to Germany to South Africa to now Lexington, Kentucky, where you're based. What do you think is the most liberating aspect of your journey and how you have become more confident in who you are? Hmm. You know, uh, the most liber liberating aspect, wow, that's... Um... I can make myself feel like I'm home in 30 seconds. Mm. You know, um, home 
is for me wherever I go to, wherever I go to also together with my husband. And I know that I can create a life for myself no matter where I am. But the most liberating aspect maybe is to have that freedom to choose the best out of all different cultures. And it's, it's really, you know, like, I, oh, wow. But let's see, I will try to say that in a, in a very honorable way. Um, in the United States, there's this entire conversation about cultural appropriation. And I had a conversation yesterday with someone because I am choosing from every culture the pieces that I like the most. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm choosing the pieces that I like for Poland. You know, I like that Polish women are extremely strong. When they don't like something, they go out on the streets, they demonstrate, they take the shirts off, they put, you know, like pressure in all sides. They, they really don't care if they get arrested or not. I, I, I like what I like about Germany is that the, the feminist movement in the 60s really created an open space of, um, of equality and a lot of things that I'm seeing here in the US, you, you, won't, you won't find them in Germany, you won't find them in the Netherlands, you won't find them in many of the European countries because that, that fight was truly fought out to the end. Um, South Africa, man. The rainbow nation it is a rainbow nation and you know what south africa really brought a lot of healing to me mm. it was the first country where i felt accepted for who i am without having to say where i'm from without having to mention my nationality or religion it didn't play play a role in south africa and like in many other african countries they ask you what your name means Right, that's the first thing that they will, yeah. And and you you mentioned to me to this before we hit record, but can you tell the listeners what your name means in yeah, Swahili? Yeah, so look, so the the context that my name comes from it actually means the the um, the village warrior, the queen of the warriors. In that context, it was always meant that's uh, because it's it's an old name from um, from uh, uh, Hungary. But in, uh, in Swahili, it means hope. Mm. And in Zulu, which they add an E to it, so it means actually a problem. <laughs> which the funny thing is, I love it. Because no matter where I go, I usually cause problems. Because I steer up, you know, like, the like, are you sure that this part of your culture is right? <laughs> you know, it's, it's, almost, it's almost like the duality of how you mentioned how joy and pain can exist. You yeah. also embody wholeness but also the problems yeah. Yeah. and this yeah. warrior this fierce energy that you bring so I, I what I'm what I'm drawn to in this moment is how how we started off this conversation and, and the opportunities and experiences that you had working starting off working so serendipitously with holocaust survivors to then working in South Africa and being exposed to the reconciliation process we're talking about anger and we're also talking about liberation not only of ourselves, but almost on a, on a global scale of what those processes look like at both a micro and macro level. And I think the work that we're both doing through our respective platforms really does come down to giving yourself permission to feel all of it. And also that real true essence of what liberation means for you. And I think, you know, and I, what, to your question, I think it is liberation, you know, it's, uh, it's the, I am free. Yeah. 
at the end of the day, I'm really free. I managed to create a life where when I'm looking at many other people, I am free. I've learned to lose. I've learned to gain. I've learned that none of the things around me matter. Uh, multiple times, actually, you know, because when I moved to South Africa, I didn't take anything really with me because it just cost too much. When we came to the US, well, it was a similar story. We just left everything, you know, in South Africa and gave it to people and started fresh out new, which, by the way, one of the best things. If you can ever once in your life just get rid of everything that you have, the feeling afterwards, that's, that's freedom. That's absolute freedom. Like, no apartment, no things. Yeah, like, you know, you have like two bags there, clothes, some books. Like, that's it. You know, just like, it's, it's so amazing. But also the, I've, gave my, I've, I've given myself the permission to choose who I want to be and in that process to change and be on the continuous journey of change and not allow anyone else to tell me if this is right or wrong. And that is, I think, freedom for me, yeah. you know, and, and also embrace, 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 uh, you know, like embrace different cultures mm -hmm. and start incorporating different cultures and pick the best from every culture. Mm. And I think that is so important. And I think that we need to allow those, those conversations because in every culture, we will find things that are helping the community to become better, to gain more, to gain more abundance. And in every culture, we are still having aspects that are holding the people back. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And to take it a step further, I think this has been such a beautiful conversation. I mean, when we're talking about liberation and, and embodying this sense of freedom within ourselves to take it a step further we cannot be free until we're all free and so i think yes. the work that we do on an individual level impacts this larger context this larger Absolutely. conversation of freedom um this word embrace has come up a lot in our conversation which i don't think is a mistake in any in any way given that the name of the podcast is embracing enough so I just want to first thank you, Dr. Minnick, for, I hope I can call you Kinga. I mean, I obviously yeah, big no, difference, no, no, no. Yes, but, but um, it's been such, such a pleasure to have this conversation. I feel like we could have it for hours on end, but I think we need to put a pin in it here. But I end every episode with the question of what does embracing enough mean to each of the guests? So I'm asking you, Kinga, what does embracing enough mean to you? I think that embracing enough means to really accept yourself for who you are with all the multifaceted talents and allow yourself to be the multi-passionate person that you are. Because I think that we are all very creative human beings with many, many different interests. And in order to become your best version, you need to embrace that. Yeah. Beautiful. Wow. I love that. I love every single answer that each guest gives because it's so different. <laughs> um, Dr. Minik Kinga, how can people reach out to you to work with you and learn more about what you're doing? Sure. They can either go onto my website, which is kingamich.com, uh, so K-I-N-G-A and then M-N-I-C-H.com. But it's also on my Instagram account, which is just Dr. Kingamich and also, of course, on LinkedIn. You can find me on LinkedIn and just read out, reach out in the DM section. Um, that are like the three most common 
Yeah. Perfect. Thanks. And we'll tag that in the podcast notes. Thank you so much for being with us today and to be continued for sure. Hey friend, thanks for listening. I know there are a ton of podcasts out there. So the fact that you check in with this conversation means the absolute world to me. So I hope that you will join us each week, every Thursday when a new episode drops, because really we're just here having a conversation, looking for new ways to test out how to show up as our confident, badass selves. Because when you think about it, It's all one big experiment, right? Your life can be the lab. You get to find your answer and what feels good for you. If you walk away from this podcast with one thing, let it be you feeling inspired. Inspired to take bold, empowered action on the things that really matter to you. So check the show notes and learn how you can stay more connected with all of the exciting things that Enough Labs is doing. And be sure to rate and review this podcast. You know I live for feedback because this podcast is just one of the many experiments that I am having a blast trying out with. And I'm just here to continue to remind you every week to never stop embracing how enough you already are. Thank you.